So, Mark. Yes. What is your favorite example of a movie adapted from a book? Uh, I mean, right now it's probably Call Me By Your Name. Okay. I like it because, granted, I only made it about a chapter into the book before I stopped reading it because I started reading something that came out that I was excited about. I can't remember what it was, but, like, it was a big book that came out. Um, I believe it's called The Bible. Yeah. <laughs> the Bible had been just Best released. Bestseller. You may have heard of it. It had been just released, so I had to put it down immediately and go pick up a new copy of The Bible. Um, But I like it because the acting is so well done that you get the internal monologues without words so you don't need like a voiceover but you still know what's going through his head because timothy chalamet is surprisingly a good actor hmm interesting i know it's a hot take no one ever talks about that the movie i thought of first was jurassic park okay i in high school read a ton of michael crichton books didn't we all and i think there is a lot of joy to be had from reading michael crichton books oh they're so entertaining if nothing else right they're full of nonsense i've read congo like i have not read congo i have not read congo have you read timeline No. They made a movie of that, and it's weird. Yeah, the movie of Congo is very bizarre. But I think Jurassic Park is the best example of one. I mean, it's an all-time great movie. But I think what it does is it gets a lot of the cool ideas out of the book without getting bogged down in Crichton's weirder tendencies. Oh, yeah, because he likes to come across as very smart and scientific. And, And he's got, like... Some good stuff in there, and some of it's nonsense. Right. But it's hard to distinguish the two in his books. Yeah. Whereas, honestly, one of the best things that the Jurassic Park movie does is when they need to do that science dump, they do it with the little goofy DNA strand tour video. Right. It's kind of like the Small World ride. Not like a ride, but... Yeah, it's like a little like, It's like a little car moving from yeah, room to room, and he's explaining how world. it's going. Um, the, it's like the B-movie. Oh, man. Exposition to bring everything back to so B-movie, the difference favorite film. <laughs> is that the B-movie exposition is like 15 minutes and this is like three. You mean the B-movie took something else other movies did and made it worse? That seems ridiculous. That seems false. That seems fake. That can't have happened. Oh, man. Fiona, what's your favorite example? Uh, it's actually a made-for-TV movie, I believe. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. But Anne of Green Gables. Oh! Which I loved watching as a child. Mostly, well, I loved the fact that she was a redhead, but she was just so fun and spunky, and she frolicked around in Canada, and who doesn't want to watch a movie about that? Yeah, that's a really fun movie. I'm a big fan of that. It's great. And Gilbert, everyone loves Gilbert, and everyone's just, the teacher is weird, and everything's great, and I love it. I think about that movie a lot. I don't watch it a lot because it took two VHS tapes, which is my measure of, is your movie too long? Although, to be fair, The Parent Trap is a little long, too. There's some fat to trim there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but actually, The Parent Trap is the reason that I was talking about this, because in doing research for this episode, I discovered that The Parent Trap is not only based on the 1961 Disney film, The Parent Trap, but that it is also based to the point that the author of this book has a writing credit on the movie on a 1949 German children's book called Das Doppelte Lottchen. What? Which means the the double Lottie. It was published in the U.S. as Lottie and Lisa, and it has basically the same plot as this movie, but set in Germany, down to the parents split up, each of them gets a kid, the kids wind up at the same camp, they figure it out, they do the switch. It's the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's usually how movies based off of books work, is they take the plot and then change it a little bit. Fair, but I was kind of surprised the extent to which these lined up, given that the version we are seeing is through several adaptations. Yeah, that's true. 
I want to just something that I really appreciated because last night I just watched set it up for the first time a masterpiece it was amazing and i appreciated their modern references that they had in it including when they said that they parent trapped their bosses yeah we talked about that in our episode yeah why do you think we're doing this movie (laughs) i must have missed you say that by the way lottie and lisa is on amazon you can get it for 11 dollars. that's the book yep check your local libraries there are no one star reviews on amazon i was hoping to read something silly Alas. Instead, all these reviews just talk about how it's the book that the parent trap is based on. (laughs) So I'm glad people got joy out of that. (laughs) How many people do you think actually read the book? Or just were like, this is great. It's the book the parent trap's based on. I assume if they took the time to write a review on Amazon, they might have read it. I wouldn't assume that. I think people are the type of person to have time to write reviews on Amazon versus people that actually, like, use the product and then take time to write the review on Amazon, if that makes sense. Okay. I think there are people with just too much time on their hands that might spend a bit too much time on Amazon. And they just like to share knowledge that they have, maybe. Yeah. It's their social networking platform of choice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's just a one-scene flirtation. You know what? We're going to dig in and see what's there. And this week... We're looking at a movie that had two gingers at its core, so we decided we would need another ginger to come along and help us out. Hey! So, everyone, welcome back, our first ever guest. It is hashtag Fifi Fierce herself. Come to join the Heart of Podness family again. That's one of the OG hashtags. Yeah, it's one of our first three, maybe. Yeah, right up there with We Love the Love and It's the Sound, It's the Feeling. Yeah. And it's truly an honor to have a hashtag named after me. And, you know, the way that hashtag Fifi Fierce got her hashtag was by writing us a review on iTunes. So if you want to become a part of the lexicon of Heart of Podness, an easy way to do that is to write us a great five-star review. But you have to have the most ridiculous username you could think of. Right. Like Fifi Fierce. <laughs> yeah, she would not get a hashtag if it just said Fiona R. Because that would be really lame. It would be boring. It would be boring. You have to stand out. You have to have pizzazz. Exactly. You gotta be fierce. Okay. There we go, Fiona. You nailed it. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> All right. So... Fiona, why don't you tell us why it was so important to you, since you didn't know the reason we did it, why did you think it was important for us to cover this movie? This movie was like a quintessential movie of my childhood, and I just, there were so many great things, all the pranks that they play. Also, who doesn't love the camp scenes? That's a camp that every child wanted to go to, and we did not get to go to a camp like that. Did you want to go to the isolation cabin? No, but they had... The tennis and the fencing and the lake and they... This is such white nonsense that they can't have f***ing fencing. What the f***? You know, they were just like, okay, what activity can we do that plausibly would have children behind masks? <laughs> like, I guess maybe paintball is the only other option or they're both hockey goalies. I can't think of anything else that has full face coverage that a child yeah. would do at camp. But the fencing gives them a chance to like do a full on sword fight on terrain like leaping all over the camp it looks like the princess bride also real talk 
I thought it was so cool that they managed to switch places and fool everybody, <laughs> and that was a dream that I wish I could have accomplished. This was your dream? I wanted to switch switch places with someone and with fool who? the world. I don't know. Just anyone? <laughs> anyone. You, yeah. So did you did they have to be your twin or could it be like a prince and the pauper situation? But like someone who that looked enough like me that it would be okay i mean i'd be down to switch places with these girls because if you think about it one of them has a rich parent that lives in a townhouse in london and the other has a rich parent that owns a winery in napa so either way you're doing pretty great yeah i mean everything in this movie is fine like their nightmare scenario is a mean lady but like there are no real problems in this movie yeah that's true i guess whatever her name is meredith is like a plausible problem yeah she does pose a threat in that she wants to send them to boarding school she says timbuktu specifically yeah and also switzerland right yeah as far away as possible she's gonna just have them globe trotting which again doesn't sound too bad <laughs> right that's the nightmare situation yeah so this, of course, is The Parent Trap. It's the first film directed by Nancy Myers. Mark, you had seen this before, yes? Yeah, but it's been like over a decade, I think. I didn't remember nearly as much as Fiona, who was visibly shaking in the effort to contain herself from quoting every line of this movie. It was like watching a balloon slowly fill up until she was just going to burst out some line. There is not a bad line in this film. Really? <laughs> really? Really, really? Okay, if you say so. Was that a Shrek reference? <laughs> yes! <laughs> it absolutely was. Oh my gosh. So I also grew up on it because Fiona grew up on it. And I grew up on everything Fiona grew up on. Wait, why is that, Will? Oh, um, because she used to break into my house and just <laughs> throw DVDs into the DVD player and say, Watch this! Sounds like an aggressive child. You were an aggressive child. <laughs> yeah, all of the stories I've heard about you two growing up kind of back that up. Oh my gosh, this is not even true. Go to the tape. <laughs> there is literal tape. <laughs> all I've heard is that Fiona cheated at every board game. Oh, that's not... Fake you news. Don't use, you don't have to use past tense for that. Fiona cheats at every <laughs> game. Fake news. That is not true. Have you... Uh, let's put it this way. Have you or have you not... Multiple times played card games in which you had two hands actively going. Not on purpose. It happens too much to be an accident. It's not on purpose. Maybe I'm just dumb. All right, I can work with that. I think maybe we should have an episode where we bring more on to, and it's just us dissecting your childhood. No, the movie that week will be our home videos. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That sounds like a great episode. There's a, there's a clear villain in those, and it ain't me. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so excited. We actually have to do this. I knew what I wanted and I went for it. <laughs> okay, uh, other quick facts about this movie. This movie is, of course, the film debut of one Lindsay Lohan. Credited as introducing Lindsay That's right. Lohan. Yeah, she plays two characters, so much so that she does appear twice on the poster as both of her characters. I mean, it would be weird if she didn't. Well, I suppose that would spoil the twist of the movie because, you know, did you, watching the movie, did you know they were the same actress? It was a complete shock to me. I kept looking in the credits waiting to see, like, who, who played each of them because I thought they did a really good job of mirroring each other and switching the performances. And then they credited them both to the same actress, and it really blew my mind. And I was struck by, by that level of performance. This is a dumb bit, Will. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But actually, so, funny story about that. From an interview with Lindsay Lohan when the movie was coming out, she said she was asked about doing the British accent for playing Annie. Yeah. And she said, I've always liked to play with accents. My manager called me and asked if I could do an English accent, and I said, yeah, sure. Then I hung up the phone and asked my mom, what's an English accent? <laughs> but it came pretty natural for me because I had a good dialect coach. 
So good for Lindsay Lohan, good for her dialect coach. Way to go, Lindsay Lohan, lying your way into a job. It's the American way. It really is. You can learn it between... Just cut me out right now. Leave it in, leave it in. That's staying. (laughs) Anytime a guest says cut this out, we're leaving it in. We've already established that you might be dumb in this episode. (laughs) Cutting that out too. The other thing that I thought was interesting in this was that this is a movie that kind of low-key involves a lot of special effect work because Lindsay Lohan plays both characters. You have to do a lot of stand-ins, you have to do a lot of reverse shots, you have to do a lot of replacing people in shots to make her be able to converse with herself. Right. And so in doing that, they wanted somebody who knew what they were doing. So the cinematographer they hired, Dean Cundy, was a guy who had done a bunch of like action blockbusters. Like he's the cinematographer for Jurassic Park, the Back to the Future movies. Uh, I think the most significant one was he shot Who Framed Roger Rabbit, another movie where they had to digitally insert a lot of characters. That makes a lot of sense. I totally see that because, I mean, yeah, it probably did take a lot of work. Because there were shots of both of them. It wasn't all over the shoulders where they could have just hired another redhead girl to stand there. Right, no, there's like overhead shots of the two of them and there's yeah. both of them in the frame. It's tough. It's it's the level of work being done then that's done on the, on the Property Brothers today. Where both of the Property Brothers are played by the same man. That's true, it's the Property I Man. I refuse to accept anything else. It is the Property Man. They never quite look at each other. It's always two handsome dudes. You see them <laughs> mostly separately. The rare times they're in a frame together, they're looking slightly past each other. Okay, if you say so. It's a fact. I hashtag could... Property Man, hashtag Property Truth. <laughs> I honestly think it would be so fun to be the little redhead girl they hired just to stand and look at Lindsay Lohan because I think being a stand in a film is my dream film role because you got to be on set and have to do no work. And being a stand in you can get roles from that. That's true. Being a stand-in can be cool, although being the stand-in for Lindsay Lohan in this movie had some danger attached to it, particularly in the camp scene when they do the booby traps all over the cabin and the last piece of it is the enormous water balloon that falls down and smashes on her head. Yeah. So that thing was so big and so heavy that just hitting somebody on the head probably wouldn't pop it and would more likely break their neck. Oh my God. And so for the body double that did that, they like fixed a needle on top of her head so that it would pop the balloon when the balloon fell on top of her. But the risk is if it doesn't pop, it could break her neck. Uh. Oh no. That's un- That's so bad. That's a child. They almost killed a child. That's horrifying. So, stand in dangerous work there, Mark. That's horrifying. I'm really not over that. I need a second to process that they almost killed a child for a water balloon joke. But it's funny. Don't you love to laugh, Mark? No. Yeah, I knew that. Anyway, uh, the movie, it cost $15 million to make. Opened July 31st, 1998, back when Fiona was a wee lass. My mom's birthday. No way, really? Yep. It's also Harry Potter's birthday. It is, and it's also J.K. Rowling's birthday. I think I knew that. Yeah, my mom and J.K. Is your mom J.K. Rowling? Well, they were born on the same day in the same year. So, yes. Have you ever seen them in the same room? Do they both have torn photos of parents? (laughs) Oh my god, we have to look. We have to unite your mom and J.K. Rowling at summer camp. Because your mom's birthday is July 31st, and J.K. Rowling's birthday is July 31st. And they both like to eat Oreos with peanut butter. 
Which is only a genetic trait. Right. Correct. That is only passed down through blood. So obviously that means that they're twins. We need to unite them. We need to parent trap them. Mark, your mom is going to be JK Rowling for a while, but you won't know. But you'll know after the fact. Okay, that sounds good. I wouldn't pick up on that at all because, you know, they look so much alike. I would have to see a picture of them side by side or maybe see them fencing each other (laughs) to really be able to get it down. You'd have to see the fencing and then the reveal in order to tell for sure. What's your favorite piece of evidence that the girls are twins in this movie because there's so much the way that they figure out i assume we're not really going to talk about this part of the movie because there's no romance in the camp sequence but they evidence that they marshal to establish that they are twins is kind of hilarious yeah you have the oreo and peanut butter one right which is treated as like a thunderbolt moment like what you also like oreos and peanut butter who could possibly share this appreciation every child like just i did that are you born on october 11th I, yep, you know it. <laughs> I am the third one. You, their sibling? <laughs> what if there was a sequel that was like a triplet and they ended up in a thruple yeah, situation the parents, with the, the parents, parents? The parents were a thruple yeah. and they didn't tell their kids because they're like, oh, we still don't want to see that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Nick and Elizabeth and Chet and Chet as the third triplet? <laughs> this sounds like and, a great film. And Chet is played by John C. Riley. And he just or wanders like in. Baron Holtz. Yeah. And he just wanders in like, hey, how'd you guys reunite without me? I'm into this. Let's do it. Parent Trap 2. The long lost triplet. Mm. <laughs> Parent Trap 2 still trapping. And what they have to do in that one is in that one, John C. Riley slash Ike Baron Holtz and the third kid have to constantly switch which person they're pretending to be in the core four so that they can weasel their way into the lives of this new family. Right. And I do think that the third triplet should be a boy. Yes, but has to pretend to be Annie and Lohan. Yeah. What if it's the little boy that was at the all-girls camp? So that little boy was played by Lindsay Lohan's brother. Wait, really? Yeah. Whoa. I think that's the third We cracked it. We cracked the code. We found the BS. (laughs) I was about to make that joke. Again, BS stands for Book of Secrets. This is actually page 54 in the Book of Secrets. Ooh. Wow. I don't think they read that one (laughs) in the movie. Was that before or after the secret of the moon landing? A real thing that's in the President's Book of Secrets. Is that really there? That's in there. Uh, The missing minutes of the Watergate tapes. The truth of the Kennedy assassination. These are all dark. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's nothing happy in the Book of Secrets. It's secrets, man. There are no happy secrets. That's not how secrets work. Unless your secret is that John C. Riley was secretly part of a throuple with your parents and that he has your long lost triplet. I think this is the film that brings thruples to the mainstream. <laughs> I've never heard that word before. It's not a couple, it's a thruple. <laughs> I understand that. Wait, so wait, let's get back to The Parent you... Trap 2 Thruple in Paradise. <laughs> Boom! Got it! <laughs> you did it. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the evidence. What are some of the other pieces? Oh yeah, I forgot we were talking about that. Oh, when they... When they shake hands after the fencing match, and there's literally like a pulse there's of the... energy between them. Yep. I also, the fact is... that they are the two best people at fencing is also evidence that they oh, are genetically true. linked. Also, the fact that they are both the best at poker is evidence that they are genetically linked. They're like, you're good at poker, and you're good at fencing, and we both have Jan sports, <laughs> and both of our feet are as long as our forearm. 
By the way, I remembered that today. We launched a hashtag foot forearm campaign on this podcast like six months ago. And we tasked you, our dear listeners, with continuing that hashtag foot forearm campaign where you show a photo of your foot matching the size of your forearm. And we wanted to get it to the point that a U.S. senator joined in the campaign. Thus far, to my knowledge, you have failed, dear listeners. So what the heck? Get your rears in gear before the end of the year. Hashtag foot forearm, bring it back. We haven't had a tweet since February 12th when Mora tweeted about it because of the episode where we debuted that hashtag. No, I think that sick. was when she came on. I think that was Big Sick. When did it was, we, Oh, it was in... Um, it was from Pretty Woman. It was from Pretty Woman, yeah. Anyway, hashtag foot forearm, get it going. I don't care which senator it is. Any U.S. senator. And then if they do it, we'll have them on the show. And they can talk about the wonders of science, specifically hashtag foot forearm. And we can talk about how that reveals that you're secretly twins with Lindsay Lohan. Oh, also, they both bite their nails. That's also evidence. I think all of this evidence, especially the fencing and the poker one, points to the fact that they're also just the two richest kids at camp. That their parents probably hire private fencing tutors. I like to imagine this is the same camp as the one in Adam's Family Values. It doesn't make sense because there are boys at that camp with the uh, mass murderer trading cards. Yep. But they're similar enough. Yeah. What was the one actually called in Adam's Family Values? Uh, It had a Native American name. Oh, it was just Camp Chippewa. Yeah, Camp Chippewa. All right, should we start this now? Should we move to the points? I guess so. I mean, we're only 25 minutes into the episode. Yeah, but we have not talked about this movie at all. All right, I mean, if you want to. What do you think? Do you have more fun facts about the film? Film fun facts? Uh, fun film facts. Facts fun film. No, we got through them all. Um, if somebody wants to buy us a copy of Das Doppelte uh, we could do Heart Upon This Book Club about it, and I would not hate that. By the way, Heart Upon This Movie Club really happening. Go see Skyscraper. What does this mean, movie club? It means we're going to watch Skyscraper, and then we're going to do an episode about it. Oh, okay. And you should also watch Skyscraper so that you can listen to the episode. I'm just confused what's different from the podcast itself and movie club. Well, it, I guess it also would have worked for Set It Up, but it's like, go see this new thing, and we'll all talk about it. Okay, so you're telling people ahead of time. Yeah, originally, our pitch for the movie club was that we were going to invite anybody who wanted to over to participate in that episode, because at the time, we had 300 microphones, but somebody broke into our apartment, stole those microphones, left us with just the ones that we need to normally record the podcast, which was very kind of them, and also just left a note saying, ha ha, I have foiled your movie club, but we're trying to rise above that. We're going to defeat this vile criminal mastermind by carrying on nonetheless. It's very... Valiant. Yeah. Don't worry, Fiona. It's possible you're a villain, or it could be something else. <laughs> oh boy. We've caught it hard on Fiona this episode. <laughs> Alright, so, Fiona, since you are our guest. Yes, our guest. <laughs> we've, treated, the guest. we've treated you with such respect. Hospitality. Episode. Why don't you lead us through the five key points to understand the romance of Parrot Trap? Okay, well, just to be a little rebellious, I'm starting with point zero. <laughs> No, we've done that before. When did we do that? I don't know. Whatever. And then we'll have our five real points. Okay. But I just thought it was important to get a little bit of the backstory that Nick and Elizabeth, they met years before this movie takes place. They meet on the QE2, the Queen Elizabeth 2 at Ocean Liner. Because they both hate flying. And so they meet on the boat. They fall in love. They get married. And they have twins. But they fight a lot. They get divorced. They I, as I recall, Elizabeth throws a hairdryer at she Nick's does. head. Yes. Then they split up. She leaves. She goes to London. He does not follow her. He goes to Napa. And the kids do not know about each other until we arrive at camp. So that's the backstory. That's your backstory. And then there's 30 minutes of movie that we're not going to talk about. Correct. And we already kind of talked about some of that. 
This movie basically takes place in three chunks where there's like the camp thing, which is practically its own movie. Yeah. Then I there's... would watch a whole movie about the camp. I mean... <laughs> I did. <laughs> that is like its own movie there yes. at the beginning. And then there's the parent trapping. Yeah. Hashtag parent trapping. Hashtag P trapping. Then, oh, don't, don't use that hashtag. <laughs> um, and then at the third part, there's the second camping trip, which is like its own other movie. Right. Great. It's like three movies in one. <laughs> That's why this movie is so long. But who doesn't love getting to see multiple movies? This movie's over two hours. No, it's it's great. It's perfect. It's a good movie. It overstays its welcome. Okay. Okay, take us to point number Anyways, one. Anyways, so point number one is the girls, when they're leaving camp, they switch places. So In the process, they do a child-to-child camp cabin ear-piercing situation. Correct. That is alarming to watch. <laughs> yes. Uh, never want to get my ears pierced. There like are apple slices involved. <laughs> and needles that may or may not be fully sterilized. They are not fully sterilized. She holds that in a candle for approximately a millisecond. Yeah, it's not good. Infections are probably happening. A child also gives another child a haircut, and somehow it doesn't look like a disaster. <laughs> yeah, and she just kind of chops. I don't see any styling going on there. There is none. No. Who's also, the poor? Who is the poor stand-in who got the haircut from Lindsay Lohan? <laughs> I don't know. We also talked about, when we were watching this, the fact that this whole scheme of theirs involves a federal crime of traveling internationally with someone else's passport. Uh, but that's part of point one, is that they switch places. So Hallie goes to London to be with her mom, who she's never met before. And Hallie was raised in California by her dad, by Dennis Quaid. Yes. And Annie goes to Napa to hang out with Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, who is at, like, peak sex icon in this movie. Yeah. There is a scene in which another character just discusses his chest hair. That is correct. Meredith knows what she wants. And what she wants is Dennis Quaid. The rookie. I really don't see it. And I never have. It's a thing, though. It is. It's so weird. He shows up in his first scene wearing a leather jacket and a cowboy hat, and you're like, this is a rugged man. It's a white cowboy hat. Mm, Tell me about white cowboy hats, Fiona. Those are legit. If you're wearing a white cowboy hat, you're a real cowboy. What if you're not? (coughs) If it's a different color cowboy hat, you're just pretending. Fiona, do you own a cowboy hat? No. Really? Really. I thought you did. I have a cowboy hat. I'm not a cowboy. (laughs) But the boy... Where, where did you learn this rule? <laughs> what, is, what is this from? What are you talking about? I was going to let you move on, and I just can't. What is going on? Well, you see, when you're out in the fields working in the sun, you don't want a darker colored hat because that'll absorb the heat, and you're just going to get hot, and you're going to sweat a ton. But if you have a white cowboy hat, it's going to reflect everything off of you, and you'll stay cool. But, like, is this a rule that you learned somewhere? Heard it through the grapevine. Which grapevine? Were you a cowboy working the grapevines? Was it Dennis Quaid's vineyard? Dennis Quaid told me. <laughs> this is the kind of crap that Fiona would have told me when we were growing up, but she would have tried to convince me it was real. And then when I said I didn't believe her, she would get indignant at me for not believing her. Guys, I just had a creative mind and I wanted to be believed. You were a liar. I wanted to be believed. Also known as just being a liar. <laughs> they were fun. Really? Fun stories, yeah. <laughs> they're fun to tell now. All right, can I move on? <laughs> if you must. All right, we're still on point one, though. So they're they're switching places. Their whole plan is that when the parents find out that they have swapped, they have to meet again. They want and their parents to meet again. And then they'll fall in love. However, almost immediately, Hallie learns, or Annie, pretending to be Hallie, learns that Nick is engaged to Meredith Blake. Right. Meredith is his publicist. And I just want to put some timeline framework onto this. So Meredith is new to the picture. She has shown up into Nick's life while his daughter was at camp. 
Camp is eight weeks. So at the longest, at the time that Annie shows up at the vineyard, Nick and Meredith have known each other for eight weeks. And I just want to put that on everyone's radar. And originally, Nick tells Annie, like, oh, he has something he needs to tell her. But then she keeps finding ways to avoid it. Like, she rides her horse away from him. My favorite example is when he starts saying, like, hey, like, I want to bring Meredith into our family. And she's like, cool, you're going to adopt her. I've always wanted a sister. Yeah, because she's constantly pointing out how big the age gap is between the two of them because i think it is like they say meredith is 28 years yeah meredith is 28 no she's 26 she's 26 she's 26 because i'm 26 oh right are you yeah. married to dennis quaid no hmm. neither is meredith but spoiler tell me about like cowboy hats i like the the best piece of evidence that meredith is high class since this is 1998 is that she has a thin flip phone or at least that she's trying to be high class. Well, yes. Right. But like, that's how you know. It's like, ah, her phone is small because that was a thing. And it's a flip phone. And that's the cutting edge. Flip phones are great. Flip phones are great. I like flip phones. And she tries to bond with Annie by telling her how much Nick talks about her. <laughs> Instead, Annie just like jumps in a pool, tells Meredith like, oh yeah, my horse is used to being ridden by strange women. Like, it's no problem. My dad's always getting with the ladies, which is a lie. See, Fiona, you probably related to Annie so much because you're both liars. Yeah, that, that must be why I love the movie so much. I mean, the whole movie is about them lying to people. Yeah. The whole yeah. premise is like, oh, I hope they're able to keep lying. That's yeah. what the movie wants you to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While we're talking about the lie, the thing I find really interesting is they establish that both of these girls essentially seem to have no friends except their parents. And their parents are the only ones that can't figure it out. Yeah, I was real com- thinking about today the fact that it's like everyone else, though, in the family is able to figure it out except for their actual In the family, parents. but would you mean the help? The help. Oh, the grandpa. And the grandpa. Oh, yeah. Grandpa. But yeah, the parents, the two parents are the ones that are totally oblivious. Which also goes to show how much they rely on the help to raise their children. Yeah. What is Chessie's deal? I legit, like thought she must have been an aunt or something because of how close they were. I feel like it would have made more sense if Chessie was just her aunt that lived with them to help run the vineyard. Except that wasn't she like the waitress on the night they met on the ship? I don't think so. No, I think she's just always been his housekeeper. The movies, they say something about that. About her having been there. I'm like fairly sure. Wasn't Martin there too though? Didn't they? I think they were both there. Maybe they they were so impressed. I think they hired the wait staff from the cruise where they met. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. This is such a weird movie. And then when they split up the kids, they also split up the help. The whole family just had to split. Not their family. They're their employees. <laughs> I what? think they're a part of the family emotionally. They are way too they get close. Paid. They get paid to be part Chessie of the family. was explicitly at the twins' birth. Like, she mentions holding them when they were, like, immediately after they were born. Again, it would have just made more sense to have her as an aunt. Even Martin could have stayed a butler because it's British and they're trying to make fun of that whole thing. But like, just have Chessie be the aunt and everything else would still work and I wouldn't spend the whole movie being like, who is this person? What is her relationship to these people? Why is she here? Speaking of the British thing, uh, Charles Shire, who co-wrote the movie and at the time was Nancy Meyer's husband, he said that the reason that they decided to have Elizabeth be based in London was because they were like, oh, what's a 
cool cosmopolitan city to contradict with the pastoral vineyard. And they were like, London is one of the cityest cities. And he's like, and I've always liked London. I felt like if I didn't work in movies, I would. And I figure if you're going to make a movie, set it in a place you want to visit. And I like the unabashedness of just saying that. I like that plan. Yeah, I'd do it. I mean, that's basically how Woody Allen makes his movies these days. He's I like, probably, where do I want to go? I probably wouldn't admit it, but I'd still do it. He did it like in the press tour for the parent trap. That's amazing. Good on him. Yeah. Is Natasha Richardson actually British? Not only is she British, she is the daughter of Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, yeah. And she's from London. Yeah. So she might live right by Harrods as this fancy wedding designer. By the way, when Hallie disguised as Annie first goes to her mom's design studio, one of the first things she does is tell her mom how good she'd look in a wedding dress. The kids had no problem asking about the other parents when they got back from camp. They are not subtle. No, they're so bad at this. And yet, the parents had no idea. I like it when they have to make up all these, again, Fiona, lies. A lie is when you I tell someone like something. this being a theme of this episode. That's not true. <laughs> Too bad. In the hopes that that person will not understand the truth. Mm. Uh, like when they insist mm. that it's a camp tradition that you call your friends from a closet. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a believable thing to me. Did you ever emulate the parent trap by calling somebody from a closet? No. Okay, it just seemed like the kind of thing you would have done. But I did use a candy wrapper to try to make it sound like static. I forgot she did that. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. Okay, I don't know if you guys noticed or thought this, but I found Annie to be a much worse actor than Hallie. In terms of pretending to be the other one? In terms of, yeah, because they are the same actor, so. That's why I was confused. Yeah, I'm just wondering if that was an actual choice, like, to have them be different levels of competent. I don't know if you noticed. I just found that her accent, which is weird, because that's when she was speaking in her real accent. I thought that was really impressive, actually, that she does, I think, a good job of doing a solid, a British person doing a solid American accent whose accent slips occasionally. I thought that was really impressive. I thought it was too, which is why I wanted to bring it up if you guys also noticed this, because I feel like (laughs) when she was in the British accent as as Hallie being Annie, it didn't slip as much, which is probably harder to do in a weird way because you're more consciously thinking about the British accent. Well, I think so. I'm just wondering if you guys thought it was a choice. I to do. Have them be different. I do because I think that the way that a lot of dialect stuff is taught for actors, a lot of times you do like focus on the way the sounds are formed and very precisely getting it all down so that once you lock in that mode, you can stay in it pretty well. But what she's doing as Annie pretending to be Hallie is actually really hard and really impressive doing that like accent slip in a way that doesn't feel like she's failing as a performer but that feels like a character choice yeah Lindsay lohan is really good in this movie. she's really good what a great debut and this way would all just pave the road for her to make her way down the road at the wheel of herbie fully loaded <laughs> just a few years later a classic have you ever seen it i think once oh i have not oh, no. i couldn't tell you anything that happened in it we definitely make more jokes about movies we haven't seen than movies <laughs> we have seen so is that it for point number one what's that, going on fiona that's it for point one so nick does get engaged to meredith correct which upsets the whole apple cart of lies that these girls have started to push down the hill exactly. of love so towards their parents speeding it up speeding up the apple cart leading to more lies Oh, more lies. They're coming. So It's point. interesting how you smile when you say lies. Well, you guys have made it a theme of the episode, so I'm just trying to It's never happened in an episode that you weren't here for. Hmm. Interesting. So point two is at the hotel. So Nick and Meredith are there. This is the Stafford Hotel in San, in Francisco. San Francisco, which is sadly not a real hotel. 
I did look it up because I would have gone there. And they go there as a pre-wedding shindig. Well, they're looking for venues. Also, with the timeline, they're looking to get married two weeks after they announce it. So so again, like at the longest, weeks. at the longest, that's only if Nick and Meredith met the week that camp started. Right. Very so, quick. So at the most, they'll have known each other 10 this weeks. This is very quick. Which is, I'll grant, a longer timeline than Shrek. Very true. So here's where another lie comes in. When Hallie, pretending to be Annie, tells their mother that she is, in fact, Hallie. So that's an anti-lie. Right, but the Is there lie... a word for that? Do you know a word that's the opposite of a lie? I can't imagine Fiona knows no, one. No, no, no. No. So it's called the she truth. She tells her mother that Nick knows they're coming. That he and knows... she also tells her that she is Hallie. She tells them about the switch. She does, but then she says that Nick is excited to see her, and he can't wait to meet up to do the switch, which is a lie. Right. Their parents have not seen each other since the fight with the hairdryer. So everyone's at the hotel now. Nick has no idea what's going on. Elizabeth has somewhat of an idea she does not know that their plan was to get them together she also gets hammered on the plane she gets wasted as she puts it i've never had vodka before correct also again both parents bring the help along with them so martin the butler comes from england and jesse comes down from martin's more like a lovable brother martin is like living his best life in san francisco yeah is this the time where i get into my whole thing with (laughs) do it Okay, so Martin puts on a leather jacket to go to San Francisco. And sunglasses. And sunglasses, and wears a Speedo, and then Chessy is, like, always I like the idea that he's just wearing the leather jacket and the Speedo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those are two separate scenes. But then Chessy is always- Chessy, by the way, not Jesse. It is Chessy with a C-H. Yeah. As in Cheshire. Important to make that clear. Her name is Cheshire, shortened to Chessy. We don't know that, but it's true. It's canon. She's constantly wearing a denim shirt. I'm just like, these characters were clearly almost... I just don't understand how they get together in the end, is what I'm trying to say. He wears a leather jacket to go to San Francisco, and you're expecting me to believe that he gets together with a woman? (laughs) I mean, Chessy is probably a lesbian, too. Yeah, that's the thing, is these characters are both written so clearly queer, and then they just get together at the end. Yeah. It drove me crazy. It's just that, like, almost Shakespearean drive to pair everybody up. Yeah, they also just didn't need romance there either. No! You might say they're the Abigail and Ben of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That the characters would be better if they didn't get together. Honestly, they should have just done a romance between Riley and someone else in National Treasure. That would have been great. It would have made more sense if it was such a minor plot point. What if Riley was in love with one of Sean Bean's henchmen? And then, like, that adds an added dimension to the break between the treasure hunters. A Romeo and Juliet element. Yeah. He could be in love with the dude who goes, why doesn't that ever happen to me? Riley yells, it will, and pounces on him. (laughs) Riley goes, come here! (laughs) I feel like our talk about National Treasure is longer in other episodes than it is in the actual episode we recorded. Yeah. Fiona, what are we talking about in this movie? I don't remember. (laughs) Well, we're, we're still at the hotel, okay? And this is where everyone kind of comes together. And so Nick is in the elevator making out with Meredith, and that's when he sees Elizabeth. Oh, and he does that, like, lean out the elevator while she waves dumbly and drunkenly. Right. And so he's now aware that she's in town. And she realizes that he did not know she was coming. Exactly. That man so, didn't even know I was on the same planet, he much is, less in the same hotel. He is so distracted that when he sees her again, 
he straight up falls in the pool. And this is kind of when then Elizabeth is helping him out. I think she gets a towel and kind of wipes him off a little bit. In the meantime, <laughs> Meredith has enlisted Elizabeth to design her wedding dress right. because Meredith recognized Elizabeth's name and was like, oh my gosh, I love your work. I'm getting married. Do my dress. In two yeah. weeks. And then that also is the moment when Nick is kind of like, oh, it's been forever since I saw you. You haven't changed. You look great. They're also, they are very civil to each other in this they moment. Are. Yes. I think some of it is just shock. Yeah, but I feel like it was definitely, it wasn't like they started out mad at each other still. Right. And while they're sitting there catching up on the pool deck, then Meredith comes up and is stunned to discover that they know each other. And not only that, but that there are two children. Ooh. And of course, there's also a third child. (laughs) Still at camp. (laughs) Right. This is when they actually admit to Nick that they switch places. He still had no idea. Is when they meet up for the first time on the pool deck, right? Right. Right. He's like, I can't believe that the two of you are together. That hasn't happened basically since you were born. And so now they're like, all right, well, we've got to do a switch out of here. But now we're all here. We might as well stay out our days at the hotel. Yeah. Also, real quick, they're both so happy to see the other child that it's kind of just like, How did you split them up in the first place? Well, I think it's just a situation where, like, they made that decision years ago and have just been living in the fallout of that decision. And so now what happens at the hotel is they're faced with the alternative. Like, what could it be like if they did see the other kid all this time? And to be fair, also, like, when Nick sees the second kid at the hotel, that second kid is Hallie, the one that he raised. Yeah. He's excited to see the one who really is more his kid. Right. I just think it's a really bad way of... I don't really agree with them having split up the children. I don't know. It feels weird to, like, lie. It is weird. It's a lie of omission. Yeah. Fiona, that's a different kind of lie. I oh, know I... about the kinds of lies. Bro. I'm sure she's <laughs> Tell us about all the kinds of lies, Fiona. I'm not going into all of that right now. There are too many to count, yes. according Fiona, to what's, Fiona. What's your favorite kind of lie? Fun, creative lies <laughs> that are harmless. Could you give us an example? Uh, when we were growing up, there was this, like, kids museum in Baltimore called Port Discovery. Great museum. There was a great museum. It's still there. I have not been in, like, 15 years, so I can't confirm that it's still any good. But one time, Fiona tried to convince us. What what was the name of the song, Fiona? Send Me On My Way, also Se- known as Simmy and the Whale. There are multiple lies involved in this story. So the song is Send Me On My Way, which I largely knew at that point for being featured in the original Ice Age movie. No, it was in Matilda before that. I don't think I knew that at the time. Oh, okay. But Fiona tried to convince me that she had written it. And I said, no, that's the song from Ice Age. And she said, no, I wrote it in the Egypt room at Port Discovery, which had a little keyboard. And I told her, no, you didn't. And she, as was her wont, got indignant at me for not believing her. (laughs) Oh, I remember I had a book called The Bronze Bow. And I insisted. It was a misprint. In fact, called The Bow Bronze. And that my copy had a typo on it. And then every other copy had this. We're like, Fiona, we know that's not true. She insisted this for years. (laughs) Why not? Because nobody was stupid (laughs) enough to believe you. But I had a great time coming up with that. All right. Fiona, you're the guest. You should be doing a better job at keeping us on track. You're going to keep us on track. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Okay. So uh, next is point three. So as we said, they realize, okay, well, we're all here. We're all in California. We might as well spend some time here. So Annie and Hallie actually plan a special little date for their parents. They frame it as we're all going to go out together, but don't tell them what they're doing. And yet we have another lie then because it's just the parents. So they get on the boat 
they, a yacht. They they hire a yacht that's going to be a dinner cruise, basically, and basically they're recreating the night on the QE2, and it's very romantic. They have music playing. Martin and Chessie are there to help, of course, because they've got to recreate the night entirely, including exactly. the help. <laughs> and then that is when Nick and Elizabeth again start talking about their relationship and why did we break up and what what can we do now that the kids know about each other we can't just split them up and they keep coming up with all these different scenarios that involve them staying separate halfway across the world and this is my favorite when chessie interjects and is like no these are all stupid ideas she's all on board with this plan she's like yeah you can't send the kid to one school one year and a school in another part of the world one year and then back and forth and back and forth right and one thing that i thought was interesting is that nick definitely seemed to be interested in the idea of sort of giving it another try with elizabeth even yeah, though he's, he is engaged to meredith right he's saying like oh we should talk about how things ended like it all seems hazy to me now he's much flirtier for the one that is currently taken well this is his eight-week relationship i mean that's fair so they come up with an idea where one of them will have the girls at christmas and the other one will have them at easter and the rest of the time It'll be back to normal. And they'll probably do something with the summer. Maybe go back to camp together or something. So that's point three. But the girls know about this, which leads to point four. When they refuse to reveal which of them is which until they get to go on their annual camping trip. Hallie and Nick go on a camping trip every year at the end of summer. And Nick, when he had Annie, who he thought was Hallie, was like, oh yeah, we're going on our camping trip. And so then Hallie wants to go on her normal trip. And Annie's like, well, I was promised a trip too. So they say, take us camping or you'll never know. Yeah. And I will say the parents do act like they know, but the kids point out like, Will you ever really be sure? I like the dystopian version of this where the kids just keep pulling that stunt for years and they're constantly portraying each other and going back and forth until they eventually lose sense of their own identity and they can't tell, wait, was I really Annie? Was I really Hallie? What is an identity anyway? Who am I? Oh my god, there's a third one! How does this fit into my (laughs) sense of self? John C. Riley, what are you doing here? So that takes us to point number four, right? Yeah, so the camping trip. So the girls' plan is for them to go on this trip with their parents and no one else, the four of them. But then Meredith rolls up in her red car and is visibly upset about the fact that Elizabeth is going on this camping trip with them. Which is, like, valid. Which, yeah, if you're about to get engaged to this guy, that makes sense. But Elizabeth jumps on that opportunity and decides to stay home and suggests instead that Meredith should go on the camping trip. Yeah, it'll be better for you to bond with the girls. Well, at first, it's going to be all five of them. And then right as they're leaving, Elizabeth is like, psych, I'm not going. And then Meredith tries to back out and she's like, no, 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 you go ahead. Have fun. You already promised. Have fun. (laughs) Go. And I think they have a great comment. She and Chessie are like, oh, I'd pay money to see that woman camping in the woods. Yeah, so then there's a whole camping sequence where the girls are terrorizing Meredith. They get a lizard to climb into her mouth. So they fill her backpack with rocks to make it harder for her to climb. They give take her, her sugar water and tell to her to attract bug They take her mattress and they pull it out and set it adrift on the lake. Oh, and they also tell her there are mountain lions. And you have so to bang sticks to keep them apart. And sticks together like a fool. So by the day that they set her adrift, she's furious. She stomps back to camp. And screams to Nick that he has to choose between the girls or him, which is a stupid ultimatum to make. That is the dumbest thing you could do after dating someone for eight weeks. And also because the central conflict of, like, what are the parents going to do is, like, we want the most number of kids in our lives. Yeah, they want the two together. Right. Not in Switzerland. In a surprising twist, Meredith is not smart. (laughs) 
Which doesn't make sense, because Meredith is never presented as unintelligent. No, but she's presented as very purpose-driven. Yes. She's on a one-track... Yeah, she's very one-track mind. mind. Yeah. She is shocked that she is not chosen. Yeah. Which was just shocking to me. But so then they abandon this camping trip and head back home. And by home, I mean the vineyard. And Meredith is really never mentioned again. Nope. She's gone. And the girls are grounded, but they're still in town. They're grounded till the end of the century. Which, it's 1998. I mean, two years is being grounded for a long time. It's a long time, but you know... In the scheme of things. So they're still there. Their flight's not until the next day, I think. So Nick offers to make dinner for Elizabeth. And he says he can make pasta and pasta. And I'll get you some wine to go with that pasta. Yeah, they go down to the wine cellar. He's showing her his collection. He still has the wine bottle from their wedding. He he doesn't have the wine bottle. He has every bottle that exists of the wine they drank at their wedding. And this has one of my favorite movie tropes. Where you look at someone's like fancy wine collection. And then they go, oh, these are my most precious bottles and they're covered in dust like the person would just ignore the most (laughs) precious bottles and not clean them i find it so funny he opens this box and he has to be like (gasps) he almost passed out from all the blowing he's also like how many bottles is that how much of his collection is just that one kind of wine how much did that cost i mean the thing is it can't be that many bottles because it was sold that year right so i'm assuming most of it was drunk when it was actually sold i bet a lot of it was on that boat Mm. Well, did they get married on the boat? Yeah, I think they did. So in the opening (laughs) montage for the movie, we see both them meeting and getting married in like this continuous montage. And I believe they are both on the boat. But two separate events. Yes. Okay. They loved the boat so much. They went back on the boat to get married. Okay. All right. So So anyway, they're down in the cellar and it's getting very sexy. And they almost kiss. They get very close to each other. Until Chessie comes back. Chessie. She ruined it all. There's no chance now. Chessie was out with Martin at this time, right? They yes, had been gone Jessie for two days. Was went on an overnight trip with Martin. They went out for a picnic and they didn't come back. Yeah. Without telling them. Because these employees of theirs have a lot of leeway. Because they, their lives clearly fall apart without them. And they're too emotionally dependent to be like, I'm going to get a new person. Their relationship with... Martin and Chessie is just mind-blowing. It's and very it's strange. Weirdness. You didn't have a butler like that growing up? No, surprisingly not. Oh, huh. Fiona thought she did, but that was just me. Oh, okay. What of the lies she told herself? <laughs> He's my butler. Okay, so they don't make out, so that leads us to our final point, right, Fiona? Yeah, the last point then is the next day, Elizabeth and Annie go back to California. It's the sad, rainy goodbyes, and they get back home to London where it is also raining, I believe? It is also raining. It's always raining in London. That's not a surprising choice. But somehow, Nick and Hallie have beat them back to They London. took the Concord. They took the Concord and beat them back and said that they didn't want to lose them again. I mean, even if they took the Concord, they still had to fly to New York to catch it. Right. It kind of makes sense, but I'm not well, too sure. But this is, in a way, a callback to earlier when Nick and Elizabeth were talking about their breakup. She was saying like, hey... I was upset. I got on a plane and you didn't go after me. And he didn't know. Yeah. He goes, like, I didn't know. So then this time when she leaves again, he's like, this time I will go after you. And so that's what they do. And he's like, I made the mistake of not coming after you once. I'm not letting you go again. She gives a whole speech about what do you expect me to just say yes? And then she does. And then she does. And there's a weird scene of them not kissing. Yeah. They're just like rubbing their faces together. But then they get married in the credits and there's a surprise in the credits as well. Is it John C. Riley? No, it's when Martin and Chessie get engaged. Oh, yeah. 
so unbelievable. This movie is weird. The movie. This movie is weird. This movie is very bizarre. I like imagining this movie from the perspective of one of the parents, where you're just like, you send your kid off to camp, your kid comes back, you're like, great, we're going along through our lives, and then like, your ex is suddenly back, and your other kid is suddenly back, and there's been this elaborate charade conducted against you. Which even your father is involved right. in. Right, and now they're like, trying to deceive you into falling in love again, and like, manipulate your life. It's a very strange thing. You could pitch this from the parent's perspective as a horror movie. Oh my gosh, you could. Scary stuff. The parent, comma, trapped. I like that. That's I the do. third one. It's the parent trap, the parent trap, thruple in paradise, <laughs> and the parent, comma, trapped. Where the kids, the psychological damage that this separation has caused, begin to actually physically trap their parents. Right. It ends just with a straight up ripoff of the cask of Amontillado. Yep. Perfect. Oh You'll be together forever. But in this one, they're inside. They're all inside together. We're a happy family. I never want to see this movie. <laughs> Ever. It's all a part of the PTCU. All right. On that weird, creepy note, <laughs> I think we got to the end of the movie, right? Yeah, we yeah, did. We did, yeah. So, what do you think? I think we spent a whole ten minutes talking about it. True. But what do you think? Is it believable? Um, no. <laughs> Not really what i thought it's believable i mean you hear stories about people who are divorced then getting back together sure that in a sense is believable that core of the romance fine this whole mastermind plot of the girls to bring their parents from halfway across the world together to do this does not seem real right and i think that is core to making it work because the way that they split the kids up and then the way that the kids come back together is part of it if we look at just the two of them with none of the other context which is kind of our mission right then i'd say it's fairly believable yeah they're a couple that got into one fight and apparently didn't know how to resolve any conflict at the time and got divorced very quickly and then they rediscover oh wait we still do love each other maybe we should try using at least minor conflict resolution skills in the future and give this another shot or you could just buy more hair dryers and keep throwing them at each other <laughs> that is very very bad advice william so mark what do you think where would you rate this on our 10 point scale if we're just talking about the two of them in being in love i'd rate it pretty high but if you do factor in all of the weirdness. I think I need to factor drops. it in a little bit. Yeah, so I'm gonna say like a six. I, I can give it a five. I was gonna say four, but I'll go five. I agree that if we just look at the very core of that, it works. Yeah, but I don't think we can totally divorce without the kids. The impetus for the reconnection. Right, right. So yeah, I think a five. Happy, five or a six, yeah. Happy average. Yeah. Okay, uh, do you think Nick and Elizabeth are dateable? I don't know if they're dateable, but I would date them because they're rich. So are you the Meredith of this situation? <laughs> they have cool jobs, cool I, houses. Yep. They both live in beautiful houses. One of them's super artistic in that she's a designer. The other's really into wine. And he's a real cowboy. Okay, Fiona. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Fiona, go first. Oh, no, we have to come back to me. No, you have to go first. Uh... We need the instant reaction or you might lie to us. I, I'd never lie. That's a lie. <laughs> Well, I was going to say Martin, because I think he's really entertaining. What do you like about Martin? Um, His handshake. I love cool handshakes. You do like cool handshakes. I do. You have a weirdly large number of cool handshakes that you've developed over your lifetime. Yeah, so I think that Martin and I would bond over a cool handshake. Also, his British accent. And 
yep, that's about it. Or maybe Nick. He would be my other Because he's a real cowboy. He's a real cowboy. He's got a vineyard. All right, Mark? I think I'm going to say Chessie. I'm also going to say Chessie. Because Chessie is clearly the only good parent in this entire film, because she is the first person to figure it out. Accurate. And she's the one that seems to be raising Hallie the most. She makes cornbread. She makes cornbread. She's like actually taking care of her she's perceptive she's caring and also she's funny like she has some pretty good jokes yeah i am pro chassis do you think that nick and elizabeth would stay together now that their kids are involved in it i think they would at least try harder i would also say like my guess is they got married too young and now that they're older and more mature and developed in their personalities and they do find that they're still in love it might work out better this time around yeah i could see it working out go you two stay together at least long enough for the Parent Trap 2, Thruple in Paradise to start. Because <laughs> we have to have the big yeah. reveal. We've got to have the big reveal. Okay, after we learned a lot about the relationship between Will and Fiona, I think we did cover <laughs> this movie. Yeah, great. Yeah, right? So, <laughs> good up. Uh, looking ahead, we have a promise to keep. As I said earlier, a few weeks ago, we swore that we were starting the Heart of Podness movie club. And despite the efforts of the dastardly villain who stole our multitudinous collection of microphones, we will be keeping that promise. So next week, we're going to be discussing the blockbuster hit. Hopefully. Hopefully not, maybe. I don't know. We're discussing the movie Skyscraper. In the spirit of Heart of Podness Movie Club, if you do want to send us an audio recording of your reactions to the movie Skyscraper, we will definitely include those in the episode. Yes, actually, this is great. The movie will have been out for a week, so you can go see it. Send us an audio. If you keep it under 30 seconds, we'll play it on the air. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, Fiona, you should go see Skyscraper, record a little reaction, and then send it to us. All right. Sounds good. Hashtag movie club. Hashtag we love the love. Hashtag Fifi Fierce. You get bonus points if you send it to us from the theater. Like, if you leave the theater and immediately record your initial guttural reactions, we will be even more happy. Yes, and again, you should send those to us at heartofpodness at gmail.com, where we're always happy to hear from you. We've gotten some emails of late that we have been spotty on responding to, but we're... Definitely taking your movie suggestions into account, and we're getting them into the schedule soon. Yeah. You can also always follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Just Heart of Podness. Right. And of course, again, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, just like Fifi Fierce herself. And let us know if you shared the podcast with anybody else with our hashtag podcast summer campaign. Last question as always. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Fiona? Spend years of your life collecting every bottle of wine of a certain vintage to impress them. That only works if you met and fell in love (laughs) over a specific bottle of wine and then got divorced and then reconnected years later. So it's for specific people, sure. I'm going to seek out work as the publicist for wealthy women whose children are at summer camp. (laughs) Seems like a good way to get engaged. I'm going to say... Apparently, what worked for Martin and Chessie is to hide who you truly are and find someone that you're not attracted to and just settle. Okay, well, there you go. (laughs) Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! No, I feel nap time coming on. It's only 6.30. Let's go. I forgot to set my alarm last night, so I woke up at like 10.30. You woke up so late today. I got like, in the morning. Yeah. I was slightly worried about you. <laughs> I know. I got like 11 hours of sleep last night. That's so amazing, So I'm way though. too tired still because it's too I got much. too much. Yeah. Yeah.